Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Ron Perry, the developer behind Greyblock. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here. Glad to have you. I am glad you could make it because I love to talk with the actual people behind games. I think a lot of people, they just they see games and it's just magic to them, right? So we we love to have people on, especially those indie developers. Obviously, this is an indie show. Um, but that being said, Ron, I want to just get to, uh, get to know a little bit about you know the background, right? I want to know how you got into this. How did you start game creation? So um, I'm actually a software developer by trade, um, and nice. I, uh, you know, I have a job at a, a day job at a, at a research company, and um, you know, I, I've always been really interested in video games. Uh, I, I, but I had never really any interest, like real interest, in developing them. I think I might have played around with like the Source Engine when Half Life came out. Yeah, um, but that was like 1998 or 2000, so that gives you an idea of how old I am. But um, I, I really didn't do well with it, right? Because I was in high school or something like that, and I just thought, yeah. what is all this code stuff? It's so, it's fun to play games, but actually building them is a whole another uh, totally different story. challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I kind of write about this on my blog and my website, but uh, I, I took a trip to Japan at a pretty intersectional period of my life one day. Um, and I just went by myself through caution wind. I didn't, I don't know Japanese. I know nothing about it, but like, I was obsessed with like the, the food and, and sort of the, uh, the craftsman like culture. And yeah. by the end of that trip, I, I just had an epiphany where I was like, I need to make the video game that I'm thinking about right now. And I was like, I, like yeah. I need to do it. And I just kind of like started the process of, of looking into this and looking into video game development. And, uh, and it was just this really sort of, long process of trying to protect this this new fangled idea that I had um, from my worst impulses, which are to just give it up and move on to something new, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's been like five, it's been over five years now of just like developing it um, and just every night, just like adding a little bit more and keeping at it. So it's it's been it's been a challenge, but that's kind of how I got what's, my start. Yeah, what's the thing? Cause you, you talked about, you know, that, potential of just being like, nah, just give it up. Right. What's that thing that keeps you motivated? Right. Like I know that you had that epiphany moment and you said, I got to do this. What's the thing that, you know, I'm sure you meet like brick walls every other time where you're working on this and you're like, ah, and you get pissed off or you get upset. What keeps yeah. you motivated? There, there are sort of like, it, it rotates, uh, it's sort of in around like three different things in my opinion. Um, the, the first is just like the creative itch, you know, like you get into a mode where like I, I'm able to kind of scratch a creative itch that I'm not able to in my day job. Mm. And, um, and it's really, it's just, it, it's just fun, you know, and, and that's, that's a great thing about game development. It should be fun. Um, the other is kind of, uh, it's sort of this idea that I, I do want to like start my own company. Like I, I'd like yeah. for this to become a real thing and the idea of being self-employed and employing others, um, and creating, building this, this, this sort of, uh, I don't know, a studio, but just the ability to, to create my own job 
really appeals to me as well. Um, and be self-supportive. And then the last thing is just kind of like that keeps me going, I guess, is, is just protecting it from, from my worst impulses. Again, I keep saying that, but this is like a war. Like you're, you're, you're like the dude of memento where you're like doing things to like, you know, tell yourself in the future when you have like that werewolf moment that you're like ready to give up. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I can imagine it's a struggle. I mean, there's, it doesn't have to be just about game development. It's really any passion or hobby. There's a lot of times where you can hit that wall and you're just like, you know what, (sighs) do I really want to keep going? Cause this is tough. Right. But I'm glad that, uh, that you seemingly have that drive and that motivation. Um, let's talk about the fact that you just mentioned you'd love to eventually, you know, have your own studio, right? Are you the only one working on this game as of today? Yeah. Whole development teams in this room right now. Um, nice. so it's, it's just me. Um, I, I do like, I've enlisted some of my friends, mm-hmm. um, obviously with like the voiceover stuff, but, uh, they're mostly in a voice acting role. Um, and that's, that's pretty much been it. And then, uh, one of, one of my friends who, who's actually the drummer in my old band, um, is, uh, is, has done all the recording. He's, he's been able to kind of like do all the sound recording. Wow. Very cool. I mean, it, it helps to know people, right? Yeah. Um, just have good friends. Mostly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How did you, like, what was your process when, you know, you, you sat down and you said, I'm working on a game. I'm doing this. I'm building this, right? Like I know you have the background from a programming perspective, which helps, right. but there's a lot that goes into games that people don't think about, right? Totally. Like what has been your, your avenue of, of that knowledge uh, of building up this new skill set for yourself, right, right? Right. So I'd say that the, the original foray into, into game development started with a much bigger project. Um, when I, when I say big, think like I wanted to make Ghost of Tsushima. That was my original project. And <laughs> so I started down that and I had this grand vision and, uh, and I got like three or four months, maybe actually like six months in. And I was like, I can't do this. There's, there's no way, yeah. like, I don't have the skills required to do this. Um, but I think early on, I knew that um, I was a programmer, so I knew my strength and then I knew mm-hmm. that what I wasn't, I, I wasn't very good at animation and I knew I wasn't very good at like digital art design. So I had to find a way to kind of fill in those gaps. And luckily I was able to, the thing with Unreal Engine that, that makes this really possible is, um, you, you can purchase a lot of stuff on, on the asset store. And so that's kind of yeah. what Greyblock is, was I went on the asset store and I found things, whether they were for free or they were like cheap. And I was like, okay. You know, I have to pay someone three thousand dollars to do this anim set over the next three months. I, I can, I can just purchase it for like a hundred bucks here, and so right. that's kind of the mode that I took. Yeah, when 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 someone does that, and I've I've heard you know back and forths on this conversation of like the buying assets that are already created or mm-hmm. the you know developing your own new things. Is there ever in your mind, you know, let's say Grayblock comes out and it does it does well, right? Is there a point where you as, you know, that creator would want to go back and redo things or totally. is it? Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so I mean, certainly think about it where I'm like, because you're, you're con when you're doing that, you're constantly having to make concessions. Like the right. animations are like, well, you know, I don't re- this isn't what I, like, what I really envisioned, but like, it's close enough. It gets the yeah. point across. And so you always think about, you know, what if I could just do anything I wanted, what would it look? That's right. Yeah, it is. It is a shame that there's no technology to allow us to think something and it exists. <laughs> Not yet. Not, Not yet. Computers do that. I know. I would be so good at animation if right. uh, if only it could come out of my head and not right. require me to do any work. Um, 
But that being said, this is obviously work, uh, but it's it's fun at the same time. You mentioned uh, a five-year stretch that this has taken you. I'm assuming this is, because you mentioned having a full-time, this is all just a part-time you know, project. About how long have you really, like, you know, what's your average that you're putting time away for this project? Quite a bit. Um, it's it's varied, um, you know, from, from certain periods. Uh, of course. My of wife course. and I have moved probably three, actually, one, two, three or four times um, over the life of this project. And so there are periods like in between there where it, where it drops off. But on average, I'm, you know, I'm working my day job. I come home, I eat dinner. And then from eight to like midnight or one or two, I'm working on gridlock. And, uh-huh. um, you know, and if I can find time on the weekends, um, whether it's before she wakes up on a Saturday and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and work on it, that's, that's typically what I'm doing. But I realized that sort of when I, when I finally put the game on steam, I was like, you know, for so for five years now, which is a long time, yeah. it's been it, whatever free time I had, it was, uh, if, if I wasn't working on gray block, it was because I made a conscious decision not to work on gray block, which is right. kind of a weird thing to talk about. It is, it's, it is odd because it's, it's one of the things I think about, like with my personal life, I have, you know, interests, I have hobbies, I have things that I do, you know, something like this podcast obviously takes time. Right. Right. Um, and it's interesting to me because there's a lot of times where I see people who do things like this, like yourself, and I am so blown away because I feel like in my day to day that I don't have enough time to do what I want. (laughs) And then I see people like you do this, a full-time job and putting this, you know, project on the side and it's like i don't know how you people sleep like when do you when do you get time to rest yeah. you get you take a little bit less rest the 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 thing is it takes a little more of a sacrifice from the people around you um so my wife is has been immensely supportive even though there have been those times where it's sort of like you know why don't you spend more time with me and you just got to you got to fight through that you know and, and, yeah. and you just got to realize that you need to put a cap on your ambition sometimes but um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there has to be a healthy balance. Right. Totally. Like. The the worst thing to do is ask yourself why you're doing it. Um, because then you'll you'll find a million reasons to give up. <laughs> so just don't start asking yourself why. <laughs> noted. Noted. Yeah. Um Let's talk before we get into the actual game itself. I did want to just take a second to talk about the uh, Steam Next Fest event that just happened because you were able to showcase your game. I believe there was a demo up. You did a couple of, um, I think it was like video walkthroughs or like demo promotion things. Tell me a little bit about that. Kind of what was your experience with this? You know, whether it's good, positive, what was your mindset going into this? So I, I was like, I don't have a video game development background. I don't work in the industry. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I'd say it was overwhelmingly positive. That's great. Um, which, which was good for me. And it was, it was a tremendous learning experience in the center. I should say it's positive because it was a learning experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I wasn't really prepared for, I think, the amount, of, uh, the amount of ways that people can find to break your game. Um, I I really, you know, when you're one person, you're one play tester and you know everything. So you're like, okay, we do this, you do this, you do that. But like, I I was getting, you know, I'd get emails from people at like 1am and they're just like, like this, this broke. And you're like, how did that even happen when, when you see like a screenshot and it's, and so if you're somebody who kind of like really takes pride in things and especially Mm -hmm. when you build something, you spend five years on it. You really want to show or you just 
you want to show that person that you care, number one, but also you're just sort of like, I need to fix this. This is, this yeah. is bad. So there, there were a lot, there was a lot of that. Um, and so I got some really, I think, healthy feedback and helpful feedback that's sort of allowed me to kind of go back a few steps to look at the larger picture and make some, some bigger tweaks and kind of adjust my approach here to make Greyblock better. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure it's also good just because, you know, whether it's Steam Next Fest or just putting a demo out or mm -hmm. of some sort, it's good to get out of that you know, that vacuum space that you totally. have, because a lot of people can get in that mindset of, you know, you're working on it, you just want to get it so that it's finished. But finished can mean something totally different when it's in the hands of the players, right? Totally. Like, yep. yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you had a positive experience with it. I think it's interesting that Steam has been pushing more of that lately and yeah. kind of that whole demo festival idea. I love it. Um, it was uh, it was kind of unfortunate what happened this year. I don't know if I don't know if you were kind of like paying attention, but like the way that um, Forbidden West and Elden Ring kind of got launched on both sides yep. of it. It was yep. just like, I feel bad for a lot of any developers because they kind of got hammered in, in a really sure. sense, right? I think that's kind of the nature of the beast though. Like it's, it's unfortunate because games are so accessible when it comes yep. to development wise yep. these days. Like it, it is a lot easier for people to make games that it's almost impossible to have the same type of schedule that we had, you know, 20 years back of like, oh, a new game is coming out and then we won't have a new one for another month or whatever it looks like. Right. So now sure. it's there's just so many things coming out. And yes, those are two heavy hitters that obviously are going to play a role in like yeah. taking away the space. But I think like the good thing is steam should be and other people should be doing these regardless because like pushing that time space like there's never going to be a right time you know yeah. to plan for like this is when the festival will be because you could have that perfect time where like oh there's no big launches right now and then all of a sudden one game gets pushed back a month and it's like right in that yep. demo window so it's like right there's no good time to do it. You just got to yeah. do it and then hope it stirs up the excitement and, yeah. and hopefully creating more of like a regular cadence. will start to gather a little bit of that, but yeah, I, I definitely can understand the, the upset that comes with uh, sure. being a smaller team and seeing these larger companies just be like, Hey, stop looking at them. Look at us. Cause we're big. Well, yeah. They, they black out the sky too. It's like, no, right. you know, everyone's playing forbidden West and, and I don't blame them. It's freaking awesome. Awesome game. They did, they did some amazing stuff with that. Yeah. But that being said, let's talk about the actual game. Let's no more sure. forbidden West. You know, none of that. <laughs> well, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Okay. We're here to talk about Greyblock. So why don't you tell me a little bit about it? You know, what makes it tick? Why should the listeners care about this? What uh, what has been driving you and motivating you to keep going for five years? So, um, oh man, it, that, that that's a lot to unpack. I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know what's been keeping <laughs> me going for five years, to be honest with you. All right. Then just give us the elevator. Pitch. A little, we'll start a little there. bit of whiskey probably, but, um, I think, uh, I, the, the elevator pitch of Greylock is that it's a third person, um, sort of stealth puzzle shooter. Um, I'd say action, action adventure or action puzzler. Yeah. Um, that's that's probably a poor elevator pitch, but whatever. It's it's very um, it's very story heavy, and that was the feedback that I got during Next Fest. Um, is that the the dialogue, um, the voice acting, the story, they're all excellent, and so that's that's, that's the thing that I I probably put a lot of time in, and I, I feel pretty confident as a storyteller um, and as a writer. So 
that was kind of the process was write the story and, and sort of develop the game around the story. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that, that's got its challenges. Some people would agree that that's not the best way to do it. You know, you get weaker gameplay elements and, and you trade that for more story sometimes. Um, but for, for, for this instance, Grey Black is essentially a story about a guy who's trying to escape a mental institution. Um, and it's set in this sort of parallel universe where um, private interests have, have sort of uh, taken over and funded mental health care and, and they've kind of propped up the, uh, the mental health industry, and you've entered this sort of late stage sort of capitalism type of, of side where if you think of the uh, the doctor's lab in Bioshock, if you ever played that, where yeah. like there's the, the doctor who's doing all these crazy experiments, think of like Grey Block as a little bit more of a, a like a realistic picture rather than sort of the abstract artistic sense that that, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's about Theo. Uh, he's the guy that you're controlling. Um, he was sort of involved in a conspiracy where his dad had him committed to this mental institution and, um, his dad is a major donor to the mental institution and Theo's just trying to get out. And so he's got an accomplice that breaks in one night. The game takes place over that one night where you have to get Theo out, but you also have to sort of unravel the conspiracy, um, that, that got him there. So you got to like break into some laptops, you got to find documents and you're just trying to like untangle the web that that's there. Yeah. I, I think it's super interesting and I love the idea of a game that starts with the story because yeah. I think that this one especially is the reason that like it, it pulls it apart from others, right? Like there's lots of these type of stealth games or mm-hmm. these, you know, don't get caught, whatever, you know, like this is more of your uh, way to stand out is this very interesting story of kind of being trapped inside of a mental institution against your own will. But there's always like, and granted, this is what I felt when I was watching the trailer and going through all the stuff about it. It felt almost like there's a bit of watching this as the player and thinking like, you know, I'm Theo, but like, is it possible that I should be in there? And I'm just, you know, I am crazy in that sense or, you know, mentally unstable. And yet I just don't know it because I am mentally unstable. And I think that's a really interesting concept of kind of having to break the fourth wall and put yourself in that position and being like, okay, I'm playing this to figure it out. But like, there's always in the back of your mind, like, I'm not really too sure, which I think is great. Um, And going a little bit deeper into that, I just wanted to talk about, you know, you mentioned at the start of this episode being in Japan and saying, that's it, I got to do this, right? What was it about like taking yourself back to that that forced this story to be told, right? Like what was it about that experience that got you to this, right? Yeah, it was honestly kind of unrelated to Japan. It's it's uh, a few degrees of separation there. It was, I, I wanted to tell an open world story in, in Edo era Japan. Um, that, okay. That's kind of what I started with. And like the Ghost I said, of Tsushima I, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and then Ghost, and over five years, you know, go, uh, what was it? I, Sucker Punch, those guys, they came yeah, up yeah, with the yeah. idea and they did it a whole lot better than I could. Um, <laughs> but, but what happened was I realized I needed to tell a shorter story. And, and the way it got there was I was literally on a, on a trip home from work one day and I was listening to a song um, by a band called Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. And yeah. 
And I just had the the vision of Grey Blocks ending. I just had the vision of an ending and I was oh. like, oh. Uh, and and so that's when I just started the, the 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 sort of course correction here. And I was like, maybe I can do something around this. Like maybe I can tell a story using common assets that are available and and actually accomplish something that's a little bit smaller than Ghost of Tsushima. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and actually accomplish something here. Wow. All right. So that's and, what happened. Okay. I I very much am intrigued by starting with the ending. Um, yeah. because I think it's it honestly it leads to probably a better story because you're able to just put the pieces in front of it rather than yeah. trying to figure out what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Um where did this whole dystopia, like parallel universe type world come into mind? I don't I guess I'm not really sure. I've always been interested in that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that probably comes from the sort of Deus Ex influence that, that I have. Mm. I, I love those games. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of them. Um, and so just the the idea of, uh, you know, like an overarching conspiracy in a sense and, and you know, corruption at, at higher levels. And, and I, I think in the sense that I, I do want my games, no matter what they're doing, to, to kind of say something. I said that in, in my live stream. And and I think that telling a story sort of about that, um, you know, is and, and dealing with those topics is important because they do exist today in some sense, obviously not at the, the crazy conspiracy level that, that Greyblock <laughs> operates at. But, um, right. but you know, it, it's important to call those things to attention and to get people sort of focused on them, I think. Yeah, I like it. Um, let's talk from a gameplay perspective, right? Because you mentioned having a couple of things that you can do in it. You're obviously in this stealth mode because you're hiding from people because you're seemingly searching for some type of evidence or Mm -hmm. kind of escaping, not really. Um, Can you talk me through a little bit of what that might look like from a gameplay perspective? Sure. Um, So I think from a gameplay perspective, it's, it's Theo's not a tank. Um, he's, you know, he's a pretty meek, pretty meager guy. And, and that sort of, I think creates a little bit of a dynamic contrast against the story, right? Where there's this massive conspiracy and you're just like this, you know, this sort of smaller person who's relatively unarmed. Right. Um, so from the standpoint of of the gameplay, you're kind of, you have to find a way out. Um, and, and doing so you can't really use violence in the sense as, as well. Um, I leave the option open. I want people to have the option to to take that pathway if they need to, but I'm always trying to provide an alternate pathway to uh, to completion here. Right. Um, and and so what you do is you you kind of you, you walk through, and there are places, there are rooms where there's information about the story that isn't necessarily needed to uh to complete the story but if you want the best experience out of the game you're going to go seek it out right um so from from i guess the ending standpoint the the ending that you get will be based on a few things or a a few scoring elements it's how much evidence you collected um and how few people you've killed amongst amongst the two major ones right yeah and so um i think the other thing that came into play was when i was doing the sort of hacking stuff when i was hacking into computers as a software developer it really pains me to see hollywood hacking type of <laughs> depictions where like they hack into a system and there's this beautiful like user interface and it, you press like the hack button and it like oh you shut down the f-18 that was like flying over because that's uh-huh. totally reasonable 
Um, so I wanted to do something that was way more raw, way more down to earth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and honestly, the, I have the two interfaces. So if you've, if you looked at like the demo, there's the blue screen, but there's also the terminal thing where you could kind of, you could type in and it's keyboard level. Um, before January, it was only the keyboard thing. So I did the, the mm-hmm. user interface thing in a matter of a week. And I just realized that it was, I was getting feedback that it was too difficult. It was just, you know, people aren't programmers. And I was right. like, okay, like I get that. That's fine. But I don't want to make a beautiful UI. So I made it very much like a very sparse, uh, almost like BIOS level user huh. interface. Um, yeah. So it just be that. It's it's sort of like you're going through and you're searching for evidence and you turn off cameras and you pick up documents and and yeah, you kind of like you're forced to kind of like look and read and sort of put it together on your own. Wow, that's which is maybe souls like, right? Is maybe dark souls like? <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the that ending part. How many endings are in this game? There are three. Um, okay. Yeah. And it's not like, look, it's, it's not Deus Ex level where it's your choices are going to produce wildly different results. Like I said, there's only one person here. I, I can't accomplish that, but you, <laughs> there, there are different, uh, there, there, there are differences in the endings. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the actual like collection of this evidence or the actions mm-hmm. that you're taking in the game, you mentioned before that this is, you know, thematically the course of a night that you're getting all of this evidence. Is this something where like in-game clock can like uh, is based on a countdown of, hey, you have an hour and that's what's considered this night? Or is it something where you have a little bit more time? Like what's what's it look like from a pressure on the player's perspective. I honestly thought about that. And I've been kicking around that idea of putting in like a gameplay timer because that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a nice little uh, overarching constraint. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you could do all... that as like a challenge mode or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think there's just, there's a lot, there, there are a lot of complicating factors that come along with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think if I started with that sort of thing from the outreach, from the outstart, I'd probably have a better way of accomplishing it but at this yeah. point it might have to wait for the for the remake yeah 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 it probably well because you probably would have wanted the game to be more condensed into yeah. a bucket that makes sense with whatever time frame you're giving the player um which goes to a good question of just like how long and granted everyone plays a little bit differently especially when you're talking about a stealth game but like how long have you been seeing from some of these uh i guess they're not getting the full game but from like a demo perspective with how long it's taken them to play that, where do you kind of see the full game uh, being as far as like, it'll probably take you about, you know, whatever amount of hours to complete it. I think somewhere between three and four hours total. Um, okay. yeah, if, if you're kind of like going through and you're trying to like find things and, and you're making a reasonable effort to like to experience and, and find and seek out like, like the game. Um, if you just shoot your way through, it, it won't take you that long at all. Um, and, and I kind of like that approach, but you won't get, you obviously won't get the best ending. You won't, you won't right. the story won't make sense. I think Mass Effect 2 did that, right? Where they just kind of like show you the Omega Relay like 20 minutes into the game. It's like, oh, I know I have to do that. And, and so yeah. you can go do that and you can hammer your way through it, but you know, you're missing out on the, the other like 20 hours of Mass Effect, which is the best, which is the best part. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes sense. I love giving that agency to the player because it mm. just, you know, there might be someone who, who just 
they want to experience one side of it. And like, that's totally fine. You could do that if you want, right? Sure. Um, let's talk about the fact that, and we, we talked a little bit about this off, off recording, but for the listeners, you do have uh, April 2022 as your release date on Steam right now. Um, but unfortunately, you gave me a little bit of bad news. Do you want to just talk about what uh, what's been going on when it comes to development as far as like, uh, and, and I'm sure there's a good amount of this that comes from something like Steam Next Fest and getting all that demo information and being like, mm-hmm. oh, there's feedback and this wasn't originally anticipated. So like, let's fix things up to make this a much better game for when it fully comes out. But let's talk a little bit about development and kind of where you're uh, planning your release date. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently looking at like late April or not late April. Uh, late June or or very early September. I'd like to do it within like the first week of September. Um, two things. Uh, there there are a couple of things that that roll into that. I, I want to be like feature complete and sort of done developing it by like mid May. Yeah. Um, and and that has to do with the feedback that I got at Steam Fest. I think one of the biggest pieces that I sort of number one came to myself um, in Steam Fest, but also got some feedback from players is that it's just too difficult. Um, it's, there isn't a lot, there aren't a lot of visual cues um, mm-hmm. that that go into, uh, that, that, that are a part of Greyblock. Right. Um, and so some of the things that I've been building out, like most recently, are uh, extensions to the combat system and the AI. Um, when I started in 2015, um, the AI being as how I programmed it was, it was okay. It was adequate. I, I think it was enough to kind of get the job done. But when games like uh, you know Phantom Pain and um, The Last of Us Two came out, they totally changed the game of what people expect from AI. Yeah. Um, and just I, I think I wasn't really anticipating throwing up or, or putting a game out there that is sort of almost photorealistic or has that photorealistic style, almost sort of prescribes you to have more realism in some aspects. Yeah. Right. I, I wasn't really anticipating that sort of design constraint where it's like, I can't have this realistic looking guard walk by a dead guard and not have him like do something, you know, it just, <laughs> it, it doesn't look, it doesn't look good. Um, so, so from that standpoint, yeah, it's going to take me a little bit, a little bit longer, but I think what's going to come out is going to be a much better product and that's it's awesome. going to get people a little bit more uh, involved. Yeah. And, cool. and then it'll be sort of, you know, marketing and outreach and reaching out to Twitch streamers um, and getting people to like play it to kind of build some hype. Yeah, of course. Of course. The whole marketing side that people don't think about when building a game. Tough. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. That's the hardest thing because it's like, okay, now I have to like, I've made this Kool-Aid. Now I have to drink it and and convince other people to drink it too. It's yeah, it's a lot of people when this is their passion where they're like, I finally I just want to create a game. They don't think about the fact that like, well, that's great. But like, nobody knows about it. If you don't do all of this work to get that out there. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's really tough. That is tough. Yeah. Um, So that being said, I definitely agree with always pushing something back. I know people sometimes will get upset that hey, this isn't releasing on exactly when but like, I'd rather have a better Right. 1.0 product because I'd rather people be mad and their argument about the game be that it didn't come out on time rather than it's messed up or something is wrong with it, right? Like 
the difference cool. between the two is so crazy different. I, I um, agree. Yeah. And it, that's kind of a change of pace in today's industry now. Like it seems like more and more we're seeing games that are released that are like 80 to 90% complete where it's just like, yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. and it, it rubs people the wrong way. And then yeah. you have to play this whole game where you have to hope that you become another no man's sky to, right. but like how much work and how long did it take for them to do that? And totally. how rare is it to have a company that actually gets that? Normally right. it's like an anthem. It's, it comes out crappy and then it just stays crappy and people leave it because it's a lot yeah. of work. Fix right. it up. Right. And it's a and lot, it's a lot of, of stress on the developer team. It's so yeah. when you bring up Anthem, I, I literally just have, I have a tab open for Jason Schreier's article about why Anthem failed. I was just fascinated by it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's super interesting and it does suck because obviously the developers, no one's trying to make a game that doesn't hit, you right. know, the way they want it, but right. like it, it happens sometimes and it's often because of certain constraints that will negatively impact you. Mm -hmm. But like a player doesn't care about that. Like some right. do, obviously, exactly. some have the foresight yeah. of that. But like most, like the generic audience is just going to look at it and be like, bad game is bad, not mm -hmm. going to play it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it's it's a shame, but it's the nature of the beast. So it's oftentimes better to just say like, it's going to come out when it's ready to come out. Yeah. Don't do what CD Projekt Red did with Cyberpunk and say it's going to come out when it's ready and then release it when it's not ready. When it's not ready, yeah. <laughs> what a shame that was. That was such a shame. Yeah, they, I mean, I don't know. Something about Cyberpunk games, Cyberpunk-styled games, always seem to come out uh, a little glitchy. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, let's talk about what's next, though, as far as, you know, like you're ramping up to hopefully down the road release this game. Uh, what happens afterwards, right? Like, what are your big plans? Like, obviously there's a, it does well, it doesn't do well, it does okay, it does amazing. Like, there's so many possible options mm -hmm. for this, right? Mm -hmm. But like, in your mind, um, maybe not, but maybe somewhat regardless of like how it does, like, what's next for you and for the game? Rest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit, a little bit of rest, a period of, of, of downtime. Um, so I think after release date, obviously there'll be, there'll be quite a few months of support depending yeah. on how well it does, um, you know, is, is determinant of, of how long that support is and what, what that support looks like. It could be reporting to new platforms, um, anything, but, um, from my standpoint, my goal, I'll just state it in terms of goal. How's that? Yeah, so yeah, the goal is gray block does. Uh, does what I want it to from a sales perspective. It shows me that, you know, I can make games and people enjoy them. Um, and then we sort of pivot to something new. We try to do the next one bigger. We try mm -hmm. to do it longer. We try to do it a lot better. And um, and I have I have a pipeline of ideas uh, that that I really want to get done. I think I have some some games that you know aren't necessarily going to be copied by uh, by any major game studios um that's fine but, that's what's yeah. great about indies i a hundred percent would take a lot of indie games over what is generally the the normal game that always comes out from the bigger studios right right yeah you can take a lot more risks as an indie yeah. and so i think i'd like to to operate in that space i mean um at least for for, for a little while here and just to kind of like explore things that are telling interesting stories um, and really immersive worlds and worlds. And, and like you said, you know, breaking the fourth wall, that's, that's huge to me. That's, that's an important part of, of Greyblock. And it was one of my original design decisions going through that I wanted to break that down. 
That's awesome. Are they going to be like, I know you have some cool ideas. You uh, seemingly have passion when it comes to storytelling. Uh, are these going to be in the same type of realm? Like, are you the type of person who really wants to build stealth games or are you just, that's kind of what fit the story and that's why that ended up going that way. Uh, and we might see something totally different or like, you know, I, I always think it's interesting, especially because with indie studios, you're not really too sure, but like, especially if you get a hit, usually people will stick to the genre because they're like, yeah. okay, we know what we're doing in this realm. Right. Or then you have someone like the SteamWorld uh, group who just does a new genre every single time. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, you're so chaotic. <laughs> but just going into like, what is your passion as far as like, you know, usually it's always you trying to create a game that you really love and yeah. create something off of that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my passion is story. Um, I believe, yeah. so I, I think for, for what I believe, I believe is like video games is an interactive storytelling medium, Yeah, almost like, like an interactive movie. Like it, there's a way that you can interact with the video game, um, and get immersed in it, um, in ways that are different from movies. Um, and, and so I would say going forward, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on it being a stealth game or I'm only going to make stealth games. That's, that's right. not what I'm into. I'm, I'm into, I'm into story. I'm into characters. Um, and I'm going to develop a game that kind of that suits that sort of molds around that. I would say that the things that will probably be in there are very likely puzzling elements. So and, and pieces that, you know, I, I want people to use their noggin. I want people to use their brain when they're playing their block. So there'll be some critical thinking stuff. Very cool. I love it. I'm definitely uh, into this whole idea of pushing story as your passion. I can't wait to see what comes next. I yeah. definitely Wish you all the best with this game. I have one final question that I love to ask all of the people who come on this show. Sure. And that's just some general advice, right? You've spent a lot of time working on this and uh, coming to terms with, you're not going to create the next Ghost of Tsushima. You're going to create something that's a little bit smaller scaled and a little bit more uh, focused on that story and focused on this passion of yours, right? Um, and at the same time, you've also learned a whole set of skills that you didn't have before starting all of this for those who, you know, might be in your shoes or might be at that point of being in Japan and saying like, I got to do this, right? What would you have told yourself? Uh, I, I guess knowing what you know now, what would you have told yourself five years ago? Um, oh man, what would I have told myself five years ago? <sighs> Oh, you, you caught me on this one. I, I really don't have a, I don't, I don't have a great answer. Um, <laughs> I, I think if there's one thing that uh, me from five years ago needs to hear, it's to, um, it's to just keep a cap on your ambition hmm. um, and to understand that there's a balance that needs to be had here. And, and though, like, I, I think, you know, kind of approaching it the way I did where understanding yourself um, understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are, understanding what your worst impulses are, and then protecting the project from that um, is helpful uh, and is necessary to keep it going. I think, you know, understanding when you need to pull the plug, walk away and, uh, and rely on your and spend some time with your support structure is probably is probably the thing that I would say. I like it. I'm uh, yeah. in all of my time of doing this. I don't think I've had one so uh, strongly on self-awareness, which I think is interesting. Um, but I definitely agree. You need to understand kind of your strengths and weaknesses when it comes to this, to understand what you're capable of and give yourself that time to 
totally. a recharge, if you will. Totally. Totally. Self-awareness was, it, it's, yeah. If you're going to do this, yeah, that's what you need. You, you really need to do it if you're going to know yourself if you're going to do this. I can't, can't agree more. Uh, look, for those listening, Gray Block is currently in development, but hopefully sometime this year it will be releasing. We're uh, just putting those finishing touches on it, it sounds like, making sure that it is yep. 100% ready so that when 1.0 comes out, it's going to be an amazing game. Uh, once again, Ron, thank you so much for joining today. Of course, man. Thanks for having me.